HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is a special show today. We just wrapped up the Heritage Radio Network Kickstarter. Great job, guys. Jack, Aaron, and everybody. I know you guys hit your target, and uh, it's really special to see what's going to happen here at heritageradionetwork.org. And uh, going back tonight, we did a show back in February, uh, recorded at the Blind Tiger in the West Village. It's a special show for New York City Beer Week. We have a Vermont uh, beer show with... uh, Dave Broderick from Worthy Burger and Blind Tiger, and Chad Rich from Prohibition Pig. So it's a special pre-recorded show. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and congratulations to Heritage Radio Network on hitting their Kickstarter. Take it away, Jack. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. And today is February 25th. We're doing a special uh, post-Brewer's Choice show live from the Blind Tiger in uh, West Village, Manhattan. Beer Sessions Radio is brought to you by Union Beer Distributors, suppliers of world-class ales and lagers. So this is a pretty special show. We're here at the Blind Tiger. First time we're doing a remote show. We're going to air this uh, in March sometime. And we've got some great people. Guys, introduce yourselves. Hey, Jimmy. It's Dave Broderick from the Blind Tiger. Uh, Chef Tommy Harder from The Blind Tiger. It's uh, Ian Campbell from Beanery Brewing and We're the Kitchen. And Chad Rich from Prohibition Pig in Waterbury, Vermont. Well, cheers, guys. Cheers. 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 I know you just came down for the Brewer's Choice event last night, but the real reason we're having the show is talking about what's going on in Vermont. Um, you know, let's start with you, Dave. Tell us about the Beanery and what you're doing. Yeah, we, um, we, I got a phone call from Dave Arrington at uh, Head Brewer's Smutty Nose last May saying that... Um, they were going to hang on to their old brewery and rename it Smut Labs for experimental stuff. And he said, I've got all this excess capacity. Are you interested in doing a project? And at first I was like, the last thing we need is more beer. But um, I don't know why. I just have always had this idea of doing a coffee a coffee brewery. And so it started there. We just started doing test recipes and, and, uh, and then uh, came out with our first 
brand coffee IPA right before Christmas in Vermont, and, and now we've got coffee milk stout. And Ian Campbell, who used to work here at the Tiger, um, is now up in Vermont with me at uh, Worthy Kitchen, uh, is one of the partners in Beanery as well. So um, he's actually going to be running sales in New York City, going back and forth between uh, both places. So Ian, what, what was it like for you getting involved with this, these projects up in Vermont? I mean, you were living in New York. Yeah, I was in, in New York here at the Blind Tiger for, I always say 10 years, but I think it was 8, uh, from when we moved to the new spot on Bleecker Street. And actually, if you actually remember when we moved here the first time, it took a little while for the liquor license to kick in, and we were actually doing a coffee program here which is how I actually got involved in the company with Dave. It was like uh, the worst year of our life. <laughs> <laughs> so co- coffee, actually I came to it from the coffee end. I didn't know anything about beer, but I learned pretty quick working here at the Blind Tiger. So I was uh, uh, was here and moved up to help open the Worthy Kitchen and was just hoping that Dave would invite me to join one of his projects and uh, <laughs> busted butt for a year and then we... Now uh, you know what it's like. And now I know what it's <laughs> like. Um, so... Um, yeah, the, uh, the beer's been moving well up in Vermont, but I'm really excited to bring it down to New York. Uh, last night at the Brewer's Choice, we were getting really good response. I think it's going to be a, it's going to be fun to come into the New York market for sure. That's great. Let's talk to Tommy. So yeah. you've been here for the chef at the Blind Tiger for how many years now? Uh, almost four years now. Uh, four years in February or April. So, yeah, been here for a little while. <laughs> and I know you've been doing some beer and food things. What, what food did you make last night for the Brewer's Choice? Oh, uh, yeah, I made some jambalaya. Um, actually made it with beer too. Um, you know, it's because you know last week was uh, Mardi Gras, and so I just kind of thought of the idea of doing something that would, uh, you know, be a little festive and a little bit. Uh, I guess I'm more or less logistically uh, simple for me to serve. <laughs> so I had a nice little one pot meal of a uh, mix of both brown uh, brown rice, black forbidden black rice that was uh, uh, cooked with beer, uh, chicken, andouille sausage, and shrimp. Uh, definitely was. Uh, uh, another favorite too. I had a lot of people keep on coming back for force and fists and <laughs> just trying to you feed as many out. people as I could. You <laughs> ran out halfway through the event. <laughs> well, it was great stuff, man. And uh, Dave, what beer is this? This is uh, Chad's beer from oh, yeah. Prohibition Pig, Chad's new brewery, which I'd love to hear more about. Um, yeah, this is our. Uh, it's one of our session beers, Session Blonde with Mosaic Hops. It's so delicious. Yeah. That's um, you know one of the main things we want to do is always have. Uh, very sessional beers on tap. That's uh, it, we'll, we'll do bigger beers at times, but um, with the new brewery, uh, we just went from Lawson's old one barrel system. Then I, I acquired some you know new equipment for fermenters and bright tanks, but also pretty much started the uh, Vermont Brewing Museum. I got uh, John Kimmick's old uh, mash tun, and uh, then Sean Hill's old brew kettle, but then ended up getting. John Kimmick's brew kettle as well. So. And that's John Kimmick from the Al- of Alchemist fame. There you go. Is it, is it officially the Vermont Brewers Museum? Or that's just- I, that's, <laughs> other people have even said that. So now we've gone from Lawson's old one barrel to the seven barrel. Uh, we, uh, we, we bought the building behind us that sat vacant since the flood of Irene, uh, renovated it. That now has given us outdoor seating and as well an additional 50 seats inside. And much more brewing capacity with the, the seven barrel, with a lot of room to grow in there too. So, uh, with that said, having that uh, the extra capacity, um, we always want to do very sessionable beers because uh, that way you can drink more. 
Yeah, so. I mean, Verm- <laughs> driving in Vermont is a much bigger issue than it is here down yeah. in New York City, and you, you constantly have to think about that. You're trying to figure out how can you sell them that third beer, and uh, it's the only way is at least to have a couple of, of uh, lower ABV beers. So I'll tell you, this is great, possibility. Man. Yeah, it's really lots of flavor. Yeah. I'm really liking Session Brews. You know, we come from an event. You heard you guys talking about festivals before. I'm always amazed at festivals. Some people go in with these hard, heavy-hitting beers that are like 10% barrel age, and I'm like, you can't really appreciate that in a festival setting. No. But I also find, generally, I want to have more Session Beers anyways. <clears throat> and it's, it's a harder beer to make, you know, to make really well. Just like Pilsners are tough to make, you know, because they're so clean. There's nothing to hide behind. Session beer is to make a really good, smooth one, has lots of flavor, but isn't over, you know, unbalanced in some way. It's, it's a tough beer to do well. So it's always yeah, a good what, test. What other beers are you making now? Um, right now, um, we, we have six or seven of our own beers on tap. The goal is to get it up to somewhere around probably 10 or 12, and then still always be a tap room as well, having, having access to Hill and... Lawson and Alchemist beers, you know, we we, we got to keep those on too. But um, we we try to vary the style from uh, definitely a lot of hoppy stuff. We're still loving that. But uh, Nate loves doing Nate Johnson's our brewer, and he loves doing uh, darker beers as well: stouts, brown ales, porters. Uh, uh, you know, and, and as well, we we've, we've done some. Uh, one-offs that were a little different. We did a, a our take of uh, something we called Brass Monkey, and it was a malt liquor, seven uh, percent malt liquor lager that was uh, with orange zest in it. And uh, but we will start doing more lagers as well, and especially pilsners. Mm-hmm. I feel like pilsners are one of the beers I'm being drawn to the most right now. So and there's a lot of, I mean, there are some Vermont Pilsners, but nobody's really kind of gone in there and, and sort of done something really super interesting. They're all, they're all really well made, but nothing that really jumps. So I think that's a, that's a really good style um, for, especially it's popular in Vermont too. A lot of, you know, it's one of our biggest selling styles at both our places. I'm sure the same is for you. Yeah, great. You know, hops, summertime, lager, there again, it sits lighter on you. Um, not going to weigh you down. You can have three instead of two. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I just wanted to ask Chad, like, uh, and we were sort of talking about this um, last night a little bit, is, is managing a list when you have access to Hill Farmstead and Lawson and, and the Alchemist, and then you've got your own beers as well, is like how do you you know, make sure everything's moving and, and, uh, cause we have trouble, you know, you know, Hill Farmstead suddenly going to have a lot more beer, um, available and we're going to have a lot more lines of it. And we already have trouble just managing two lines, getting people to drink other stuff. You know, everybody that comes in there, that's all they want, either that or Lawson. And we can't get the, uh, the alchemist. So how do you, you know, we have to take, take Hill Farmstead off sometimes to move other things. So how, you know, you've got it even worse than we do because you've got everything. Um, we definitely noticed that at first, and it was really a lot of trial and error of picking out what other beers were going to be in- interesting to fill the voids. And they they definitely had to be more of a unique style. It's kind of hard to put a, a hoppy beer up from outside of Vermont when you have all these other great hot brewers up there. So... Um, that's that's something that we definitely don't put a lot of that style up from breweries out of state. Uh, you know, it's just 
kind of plugging in maybe some of the esoteric stuff that people want to see, sour beers, just trying to keep balance throughout all the, the, the spectrum of, of beer styles. All right. And Ian, like, tell us more about the scene up there. I mean, between Worthy Kitchen, the Beanery, Prohibition Pig. Yeah, you know, I think that, uh, you know, definitely a lot of people when they're walking into the bar come in. Their first one, I would say, is usually if we have a Lawson's or if there's anything, one of the, you know, Alchemists or Lawson's or Hill Farmstead, they're look, they're coming looking for that. Um, but I think people are pretty adventurous once when they're looking for their second beer there. They usually, they're asking the bartenders what's going on, what's local, what's kind of fresh, or what's going. So I think, you know, we could steer people towards, uh, uh, towards other styles and, uh, you know, I think the the hoppy beers are definitely still what they're looking for first. But uh, you know, we all talk about it in the bar beforehand, kind of what's what's new, and get the staff trained up on uh, other styles and steering people in that direction. Um, Cheers to you guys! Yeah, yeah. We all were at this event last night. We're all a little quiet, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'm quiet down with my throat, you know. But it's been really cold in, in, in the city for the last few weeks. Is, is it like that up in Vermont? People hibernating in the yeah, winter? Well, Chad was saying it was on the Monday night, it was 27 below in Waterbury. I think it was 15 below. We're a little bit further south. So that's without wind chill. So it's been, and it's been like that off and on. You know, we have a couple of decent days and then it just drops down. So, um, and it does, you know, affect business a little bit up there. People are, are certainly more willing to go outside, they're more used to it. But, but, um, you know, if you're home and it's and it's 15 below zero, I mean, you're not going to jump in your car and drive a half hour to go to some place. You know, so it definitely um, can slow things down a little bit. We we have been lucky with the snow, though. Yeah, we've got. It's been one of the best skiing winters we've had in a long, long time, and it looks like it's going to last yeah. for a long time, which is huge because one of our slower times is when the mountains close down. The whole state turns to mud, <laughs> and uh, and everybody seems to disappear. So. Uh, um, if we, you know, the longer the winter for us, the better. Yeah. All right, guys. Yeah. Well, let's just talk about some things like beer festivals. I mean, so when people go up to Vermont, they like to hit some of the breweries. They go to your places, the Worthies and Prohibition Pig. Are there any festivals that are worth going up to? Well, that's what Chad and I were just talking about before the show, and there's there's tons of them. Chad knows even. I mean, obviously, there's Vermont Brewers Festival in July, usually the third week of July, and but there's a whole bunch of new ones. Um, now too, there's the one on Labor Day, which I don't remember the name. It's like the Hop, Hop something. Hop Jam. Hop Jam. That's it. And uh, I didn't. Neither of us went, but apparently it was really good. All the great breweries were there. The Vermont great Vermont breweries. And uh, but there's like something. It seems like there's something every weekend. Literally is. There's uh, September Fest. That's a big one down at uh, Mad River Valley. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's sort of a. Lawson's own base, so people right. really flock to that just to see his beers, and he usually coordinates um, a beer release at that same time. So it's it's been good, great for Vermont though having all these things because it's not like you got to come one particular weekend if you're a beer enthusiast and and be there that weekend. You can come almost any weekend now, and there's something going on somewhere. And we really, I mean, we need people to come to the state. We're so small. You know, our, our local population is, is pretty tiny. So we need that influx of people. And it's, it's been a real boon, you know, over the last five, six, seven years with the Alchemist and Hill Farmstead drawing so many people into the state and Lawson. Um, it makes a big difference for the restaurants. I mean, especially, 
you know, going back to mud season when we when things can really slow down, they almost always schedule bottle releases during that time to help everybody out. And it really makes, you know, at least keeps the weekends busy and, and is a huge help. So it's great the way the breweries kind of pay attention to, uh, you know, what's going on in the, in the restaurant, bar and restaurant world, and helping them out as much as they can. All right, guys. This is a good one. Um, cheers, everybody. <laughs> no brain left. <laughs> I think next we need some coffee beer. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah let's, coffee beer? let's try some of that. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of the people from the Blind Tiger have been going up to Vermont. Have you been up there, Tommy? I have actually uh, had a chance to uh, visit the Worthy Kitchen, but not the Worthy Burger yet. Um, we were going up there because we had an event uh, down here we do. It's farm to bar. Um, so I was actually going up there to get a bunch of produce from farmers um, and bringing it back down, also with a lot of meat. So I had a, a reason for a road trip and had a good time. Got to go see Ian and a couple other uh, former employees like John Tuck. That um, oh, it's not John Tuck anymore. It's uh, John Knight. John Knight. Sorry, uh, she used to work here as well as another bartender and um, ended up getting uh, taken from us to go up to where the kitchen. But, um, yeah, no, it was a great place, and I had a great time. can't remember what beers I drank because, uh, well, I didn't have to worry about driving, so <laughs> I got the You do that every year. You have some of the Vermont farmers yep. come down. You do a little festival. Was yeah. It in November? It's, uh, yeah, we usually, well, we did uh, first of December, so just right after uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, we're, like, because of the harvest and stuff like that, a lot of the farmers didn't can actually come down. And uh, some of the ones that participate uh, from uh, Fable Farms, they also make cider as well, and they bring it down, and we have it on tap, as well as some other Vermont beers. And so it's kind of one of those one times that we can actually get Hill Farmstead down here as well and stuff like that. Uh, so it's kind of a nice event to do. But, but for me, it's really always... Um, really nice too because then I kind of get to do a whole spread and a buffet and all that kind of stuff and uh, make some different every time too so get to use you know great produce and uh, create different dishes that I really don't do here anyway so yeah it's always a good time for me even though it's always a lot of work <laughs> alright guys we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Road In 1996, Elknife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're doing a special show live at the Blind Tiger in the West Village, Manhattan. Uh, we've got some great guys here, Dave Broderick, Chad Rich, Prohibition Pig, and uh, some other folks. So um, we're talking about the new beer that uh, Dave's making, the beanery. Yeah, so um, right now, in fact, we're drinking our uh, what we call our Costa Rican IPA. 
at Beanery, our, our real main focus, obviously, is coffee beers. And um, so for us, obviously, the beer is important, but also the bean. And, and we try to showcase the bean as much as the beer, if not even a little bit more so. So for this, um, you know, we, we, we made a very citrusy IPA, and then we paired it with a Costa Rican bean from this small farm that um, sort of specializes in, in uh, beans that when you roast them properly, they get kind of a citrusy sort of a peach lemon and a little brown sugar too, which I think, you know, comes out pretty well. And then the second beer, which we just came out with, the Coffee Milk Stout, that one really showcases a uh, Ethiopian bean with sort of a tart berry flavor that kind of breaks up the chocolate. So we've been having a lot of fun just sort of, you don't know always what's going to come out of these beans. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's a lot of fun, you know, it's a big mystery. And um, to, you know, finally try it after you've been waiting five five weeks, four or five weeks, it's, it's uh, you don't know what you're always going to get. But so far it's why, been really Why did you put together coffee and beer? You know, maybe it goes back to when we were, you know, you'd think it would be the last thing I would do since I didn't really enjoy being a coffee house. But um, for some reason, I've always been fascinated by coffee beers. And uh, I think that a lot of, you know, most breweries make one, but they usually do it maybe once a year, maybe twice a year. And they don't necessarily focus on the beans and the roaster very much. Um, you know, they don't have time and, and all that. So I kind of felt like if we really just focused on that, um, you know, we could come up with some really, we could get good at making coffee beers. You know, because it's, it's not actually an easy thing to put the two things together and do it well. Um, it's, it took us a long time to figure out our process. And, uh, and we're still figuring it out. So I, I just think the two go well together. And I, I think that to just do, you know, just to, to create a brewery now, you kind of need to have an angle because there's just so many um, places out there doing great beer. So you kind of have to figure out, like, what your way in is. And for us, it's coffee beer. And it's, it gives a whole other line of stories through those beans um, and bringing these two things together um, to sort of, you know, make beer interesting you know, for us. Do you have like a, a special coffee connection? Or? We do. We use Claudia Barrett at CQ Roasters in, in uh, Bedford, New Hampshire. She's a Q grader. There's like 300 Q graders in uh, in America. And that's just a huge process that you go through to of training and testing, and uh, both in tasting and, and knowledge about beans. And, and she spends a lot of time traveling around the world, um, finding these like really cool small farms and, uh, you know, and we live up in Vermont, which is all about small farms. We're trying to support them. And she's doing the same thing in various parts of the world. So um, it's kind of fun to, you know, get to work with some of these guys and hear their stories. The, the second beer that we came out with, the Coffee Milk Stout, um, we use these Ethiopian beans. And the farm is a super small farm run by the only female grower in Ethiopia. And she's got all, I think, 80% of her workers are, are women. And they call it the Women's Coffee Project. And uh, they're doing a documentary film on her now. She's like a real rock star in the coffee world. So to get to kind of like showcase her beans and then to have it have such a big impact on the beer that we made where it really, you know, you know it's hers. Um, it's kind of cool. It's been sort of fun. I can't wait till she tries it. No, it's great. And Chad, what do you think of this beer? Love have, it. Have you had the beanery before? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big coffee fanatic as well and big fan of... of having a little caffeine in my uh, alcohol. I like that contradiction there. It uh, allows you to keep going. So, no, it, all the beers I've had so far have been awesome that they've been doing. So 
it's not just flavor. The caffeine actually comes through. It does. And, I, you know, we notice it. Ian and I experimented on ourselves one time. <laughs> we, we went to an event at Mount Snow in southern Vermont, and, and I don't think I'd had more than two 12-ounce glasses of, of our beer. At that point, we only had the Costa Rican IPA. So I was like, Ian, let's see what happens if we have four pints. And uh, so it was, I think it was like 6 o'clock in the evening, and we just started. And it, it goes down pretty easy. And uh, and event, as you're drinking it, I notice you you, do, you notice the coffee less and it's like anything. It's like when you drink a smoke beer, you notice the smoke less and less and less. Your your palate adjusts to it. And so after the, I think after the second or third one, I noticed that I was like shouting at people, you know, <laughs> and I was becoming more and more obnoxious. And uh, by the fourth one, I was like, I really just had to calm myself down. <laughs> <laughs> take a little time out. Ian, who drinks like 10 cups of coffee a day, he, he wasn't as affected as I was. So. Yeah, I, I went to six, seven, or yeah, eight he, pints that night. Yeah, you, you went way beyond. <laughs> this is the beer you can drive with. You can, yeah. It's a really good drinking and driving beer. <laughs> well, cheers again, guys. Mm. This is the picture. you got a great place here, Dave. You know, um, and a lot of them, we got Tommy, the chef, Catherine, your manager partner, Luke, our buddy Luke's working right. here. Looks so, very important. You know, I know you went through a, family, lot of, yeah. a lot of challenges opening in this place. But in the old days, I mean, you guys were a little on Hudson in the West Village. 10th Street in Hudson, yeah. Tell us what, what, what made that so special. How did you build this little mystique? You know, I, a lot of times I think it's just um, time. <laughs> you know, we've been doing it. We've got our 20th anniversary coming up, uh, uh, gosh, almost a, exactly a year. It'll be March 15th of next year. Um, 2016 will be our 20th so that's a long time and you know you build up it's a long time to build up a following and I don't know we've always been really into obviously craft beer and um, trying to keep it fresh for ourselves Um, always trying to figure out new ways to do it to approach it to think about it Um, bringing the food component in the old place we didn't have a kitchen Um, we we did have a kitchen but we didn't use it and uh, so that was a big when we moved in this location the new location with a kitchen it was a the food was we knew it was going to be a big deal and luckily at that time craft beer and food the whole pairing of it was really coming on strong so when Tommy came aboard that was like a that was a really big deal you know because uh, he uh, he's got a great palate and a great idea in terms of bringing flavors together you know it's like his brain is uh, it's pretty incredible I can't his brain's always right here I can't I can't always follow it. <laughs> But uh, it's, it's going a million miles an hour. But uh, Tommy, what, what, what's, really what's a dish fun. on the menu that doesn't sell well but you wish would sell more? That's kind of a hard question because they all do pretty well. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, right now, um, you know, actually, the cassoulet is a really good one, and I think just because like something like that, it's it's a French dish, but not everybody knows what cassoulet is. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great winter stew. Beans, uh, you know, duck confit. Uh, there's pancetta in there. And it's all actually braised in beer. Um, usually use a lighter beer like a pilsner for that one. Um, and so I mean, like even using beer in the food is something that I do a lot here. And uh, so it's one of those things that like you know people just don't know what the word actually means. You know, uh, they probably just kind of look right past it, and go right for the grilled cheese tomato soup or one of the more comfort foods that we always have here. But um, yeah, I mean, there's 
I don't really have any favorites on the menu there. Like I want to like say like oh you should always have yeah, this. I like Cassoulet. Yeah, and that's that's pretty interesting that you have it. I didn't realize you had it on the menu here. Yeah, uh, it's definitely one of the seasonal themes. Uh, it's not on the menu all the time, but during the winter time, definitely the colder weather uh, calls for you know more of a comfort foods like that. It definitely um, is something that's nice to do during you know these colder months and stuff. And so it definitely like. You know, come springtime, that's going to come off and stuff. It's going to be a little bit lighter. It's going to be on the menu as far as our entrees go and stuff like that. So um, I don't know exactly what that means because I'm still waiting for it to get warmer. Uh, it seems like it's getting colder. So it, right now, yeah, it's, it's doing good, and I, mean, I enjoy it. <laughs> and, Chad, I've been the Prohibition Pig. Do you guys have a food program too? We do. Um, it's uh, definitely the, the restaurant side. We... Um, We've got a pretty big kick. Well, it's a small kitchen with a lot of people working in there because a lot of Fridays and Saturdays we'll do somewhere between five or six hundred people serving that food. So it's kind of you know fast paced, moves through pretty quick. But I feel I feel fortunate. Tommy puts out this amazing food out of this kitchen here, and it's it's such a small space, but in all electric, all electric. <laughs> But I mean, the, the thing at Prohibition Pig has great food, and, and um, Chad, uh, who was born in Vermont and grew up until about eight or nine in Vermont, and 12, then yeah, twelve, twelve, and then moved down to North Carolina. Yep. And so it's kind of cool. He's got sort of both a Vermont and a, and a Southern connection, and uh, which totally was re- reflected in your food. And used it, you know, doing Southern barbecue, doing North Carolina barbecue in particular, and you spent a lot of time researching smokers and how you were going to do it you know because I remember like talking to you about that and I mean the amount of time and thought that you put into that it was it was pretty impressive Damn, thanks Dave (laughs) (laughs) I I was going to talk up uh, this place more too just because it it is such an icon Um, but uh, yeah no the pig part does reference that we do eastern North Carolina chopped barbecue I uh, lived with a uh, seventh generation hog farmer he and I were roommates from the time we were like 19 to 23 and we used to do these annual pig pickings in our backyard to the point that um, the final one we had when we were 23 we served 750 people and had 28 kegs so that 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 whole experience right there definitely played into the business plan but um yeah and it's and as well it's, it's it helps create some of the efficiency we do because we have to pre-smoke all these meats in advance. It's not like you just uh, take an order and then go uh, smoke an individual serving for 12 hours. Um, customer might be a wreck by the time you get back if that happened. But, um, Makes them drink that third beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Plenty of time. Do you have smokers? Do you have outdoor smokers or indoor smokers? Yeah, we have four smokers now. We just bought another one last fall. And um, it's, it's uh, good. Actually, I... This new smoker I got uh, is has been game changer and learned about it from when we did. Uh, I, I helped cook with a guy named Sam Jones from the Skylight Inn out of North Carolina, um, which is a very famous place. Very famous. Uh, I mean, uh, one of the, known as one of the best barbecue places in the country, and he has been invited by Danny Myers to do the. Uh, uh, Big Apple Barbecue for the past few years, so Sam invited me to come down and cook with him for that, which cooking means I sit there and burn wood all night and shovel, shovel coals, but <laughs> it was awesome. So No, but I, uh, there was another smoker company down here that um, 
they had just come out with this one model and was showing it there, and, and we ended up getting one of the first ones to come up that, uh, for them to manufacture, and it's been a game changer for us. Yeah, what's the difference in, in this smoker compared to the other ones? Well, the biggest thing is, is most people, when they're smoking meats, are doing cuts. So these most of these smokers, it, it, some of them can hold a massive amount of of, of meat, but they're... Like shoulders? Yeah, it's all cuts. They're, nobody... Being that Eastern North Carolina is pretty specific for doing the whole animal, not many people make a commercial smoker that can do that. Uh, this smoker that they came out with, they call it the double wide, and it will hold a, a whole animal in there, which is great for us because our other smokers were just very labor-intensive. Um, and there was a couple of times where, uh, yeah, we almost burned down the... Uh, the pig with the smoker going out there and some flame ups. So I think Frank Jones has had that problem. How many times have they burned down their smoke houses? Uh, like, yeah, that, it, that happens in the industry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a big problem. I, mean, yeah. I read the book Cooked by Michael Pollan. He, there you go. He uh, features Frank Jones and the Skyline. Yep. And, uh, and they talk about that as a constant danger. I mean, most all those places would be illegal if you tried to open it up now, but they're all grandfathered. <laughs> but they constantly burn to the ground. It's like this <laughs> you know, big danger of the business. How many pigs do you go through a week at Prohibition Pig? Uh, you know, I don't even know. I, I, uh, my chef Five, keeps ten, up with 20. that. Probably in the neighborhood of, like, um, four to six. Because we also do a lot of brisket. We do a lot of chicken. Um, and then, as well, our burgers. So it's it's kind of a, a rounded menu. It's not just just the barbecue. But um, uh, it's uh, in talking about the local food scene, uh there's, there's definitely a lot of great small farms up in Vermont, and one of them that we aligned ourselves with a few years ago, it's working out well because he actually picks up all of our spent grain from the brewery. So he, when he comes down to bring a pig, he picks up the grain, and uh, next time he brings a pig, he just you know constantly brings back empty, empty uh, grain bins for us. So uh, I like how it goes full circle like that. Dave, how did you guys meet, you and Chad? Chad, um, I think I met you when you were bartending at uh, at uh, American Flatbread yes. in Burlington. Yep. That's when we first met, and uh, and then we just started hanging out. You know, we had a lot of similar interests, and uh, Chad knew everybody, so it was a great way for me, you know, being a New Yorker and moving to Vermont. Um, it was a great way to meet people through him, and uh, he had a lot of contacts, and he was also, you know, very much thinking about Prohibition Pig then, you know, and. and trying to figure out how to make it work and where and uh, and I always love talking about the restaurant business so uh, so yeah we just started you know um, trying to figure out you know I was trying to figure out my stuff he was trying to figure out his stuff bouncing ideas off of each other I actually went to a uh, a, a prototype dinner at his apartment uh, the infamous Bat Cave which was in a Winooski uh, this amazing apartment uh, you can't even call it an apartment. I don't know what it was, but it, it's it was a mill building. Yeah, a mill building, all stone, like thirty foot ceilings, and uh, he had this really cool bar counter sort of set up, and and uh, he did a bunch of the food that he was thinking about doing on the prohibition menu, menu. and uh, we all got to taste it. And he even had like, at that point, you already had like po, you know, pos stuff, you know, for his business that didn't exist. I had a you menu know, made. He had a menu made. I mean, it was like he was so organized. I was like, this is definitely going to happen. Um, you could just tell. And I, I actually knew of Dave before he knew me just because of the Tiger. I, I actually remember going to the old Tiger location 
and this is pre-smartphone and whatnot, going, where is it? I, I was very disappointed. I didn't know what had <laughs> happened and uh, because I, I got into craft beer in the 90s because of the Brick Skeller down in D.C. I started going there, and then... Um, you know, through Beer Advocate and things like that, I heard of the Blind Tiger and, the, you know, this place being just one of the first to do what they've done. Uh, I, I was so looking forward to getting in here. So, um, yeah, fortunately I missed the time when there were only a coffee house, but <laughs> it's all worked out now. Yeah, right. Talk about invitations. Ian was the first person to uh, serve me a beer here for my interview. Uh, yeah. job here as a chef. So. Yeah, yeah, our interview <laughs> system is a lot better than probably some other people's. I mean, Dave was saying that it's going to be coming up on 20 years, and there are bartenders. You know, Ozzy's pouring beer right now. We've been with him for 20 years. Actually, even longer. Yeah. Yeah. Ozzy and I, when I was a bartender back in the uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, Ozzy and I were working together at the River Run down in Tribeca. So um, we've been together for... 30-some-odd years. All right, good memories at the Blind Tiger. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Blind Tiger live with Dave Broderick. All right, so you guys are up in Vermont and you're you're making beer too. Yeah, so um, you know, Chad and I and Ian have always been um, you know sort of restaurant tours involved on the uh, on the service side of the business, and then uh, all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, but lately we've been uh, on the supply side, you know, um, starting breweries and stuff, and it's a it's, I've, I've always wanted to do it. I mean, I, I actually got into this business wanting to do a brew pub back in the uh, in the 90s, uh, uh, even before the Tiger. And then I couldn't raise the money for it. Nobody would give me the money. And uh, so I did the Tiger instead. But uh, I, I've had like three or four business plans that I've worked on over the years to do a brew pub and, and uh, really thought that that time had passed. It wasn't going to happen. And then uh, got lucky. Uh, you know, when Dave Arrington all of a sudden said, "Hey, we could do this," and so it's it's it was it's always been a dream, and and uh, and it's just it's great because you get to sort of see the other side um, of the equation. You know, uh, uh, making something and and sort of getting your input on that. And so I kind of wanted to ask Chad's going through the same thing, and he's been working on it. I know he's been thinking about it forever, ever since he worked at American Flatbread, and uh, which is a brew pub. And so I just kind of wanted to see what, you know, now that you're doing it, um, how do you feel about it? Um, I I love it. It was definitely a learning curve. Um, You know, looking at Flatbread, it's one of the the best business models out there. Because those guys, they're they're still brewing beer. And actually, they just ramped up their production. By the way, we we talked about all these great Vermont beers. We should mention... You know, zero gravity zero and the gravity. they're putting out right now. Paul Sailor and Matt Wilson, great yeah. stuff. Destiny Saxon. They've 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 been in it. Paul Sailor's been in the brewing scene for a long time. He, he even brewed uh, at Commonwealth down down in, here in New York. I met him actually when he brewed it, was head brewer at Commonwealth up in Rockefeller Center. 
but um, definitely learning experience uh, building out a brewery, um, just buying the equipment. Uh, sort of knew some of the stuff we wanted, but uh, you got to do a lot of research, ask questions, and um, I don't recommend uh, building out a uh, rehabbing a 200-year-old schoolhouse at the same time, but uh, that's done now, so... Um, you know, definitely there's challenges of sourcing the supplies. Um, you know, hops have become one of these things where even a year ago when I bought into our hop allocation, they were four years out on certain things. Now they're 10 years out. They're, they're, they're making people pre-buy 10 years in advance. Um, that's becoming a big challenge. Is that why, Dave, that's why you're doing coffee beans? Yeah. <laughs> Flavor? Yeah, no, yeah. Exactly. There's a lot of coffee beans out there. I've seen people make dandelion groups, people using a lot of other oh, yeah. flavors yeah. instead of hops. Yeah. I think it makes total sense, too. I mean, um, you know, if you're trying to derive a, a citrus flavor, then why not just go straight to the source? That's That was part of the conversation I had with my brewer the other day, where, um, just saying, hey, you know, we should probably do more beers like that, um, the beer that we did with the orange zest. So, but... You know, I've loved the whole experience uh, of getting in on the brewing side of it, and uh, you know, it's it's been very good for us. Yeah, I mean, beer really is cooking. You know, much more than say winemaking, which is more of an agricultural thing. But beer is really cooking, and and that's what we've always been, <clears throat> you know, doing is food in various ways, and and so uh, I think you know, making beer is a really good extension of. Uh, of what we were already doing. It's just on the liquid side. And, uh, and I think, you know, Chad and I have gone back and forth about this over, over the years, but it's great to, you know, gives you another sort of control of the bit, you know, part of the business, um, you know, sort of your foray into it. It's, we're always trying to figure out ways to, to keep the places profitable, but which profitable, which is gets harder and harder as costs keep going up. You have to sort of keep finding ways to, uh, to increase your margins and obviously making beer is like a hugely can be hugely profitable if you do it right. What so about sales, sales and, and distribution? And that's coming up too. Yeah. I mean it also, you know, as we kind of you know, we started in Vermont but we're starting to kind of expand into other markets, you really realize the the difference in the uh, liquor laws from state to state and what you're allowed to do. Like for example, in New York you expect a brewer to come through, they have their business card and a sample of beer. In Vermont you're trying to sell beer it's not something you can do because it's you know they're yeah, just they like, like so crazy many, little laws they're just crazy little laws in every state but um, uh, which can be prohibitive but it's also kind so of so in Vermont how will you sell the beanery outside of your own can you sell it in your own we restaurant? can sell yeah since we we actually make it in Port, uh, Portsmouth New Hampshire at Smut Labs so um, so we don't have a manufacturing facility in Vermont which means we're allowed to sell at both of our places as well as anywhere else the minute if if we were to do a brewery in Vermont, and you know eventually I think that is the plan, then we wouldn't be able to sell. That, and that's just a Vermont law. We wouldn't be able to sell it either of the Worthy Kitchen or the Worthy Burger. So coming to New York, though, <coughs> coming to New York, do? yeah, we'll we'll uh, there here. It's not a problem at all. Obviously, I can sell it at the Tiger. Um, and, and so you just have else. a distributor in New York. Yeah, we signed with Union um, Beer out of Brooklyn, and uh, and so we'll go with them and and. Uh, um, Hopefully, late April, early May, we'll be here. This stuff is mad crazy. What is this? The, <laughs> yeah, co- this the coffee milk stout. Milk stout. Amazing. So this is the coffee milk stout, and, and um, this is all know. I want to drink. So there's really caffeine in here. Oh yeah. 
This is how I want to drink my coffee. Every exactly. Day. Yeah. This is this is the best way, Jimmy. I'm Sometimes I actually have a beer in one hand and a coffee in the other. See, now you don't have to yeah. do that. <laughs> trying to make you more efficient. You're waking me up too. It's about twelve thirty, I think. Exactly. The day after Brewer's Choice, so we're all struggling. I think that's really a lo- the flavor that you guys are really coming from those beans. Right. And Ethiopia, a lot of people taste it, and what I hear at the bar, a lot of people uh, almost think that it's somehow coming out of a barrel. Right, barrel-aged flavor, but it's that kind of berry, that berry bean. note coming from those Ethiopian beans. Yeah, it's like naturally processed, so they let the beans before they you know dehusk them, they let them sit out in the sun and ferment a little bit. So you get a little. That's where you get that tart berry flavor. And, and the thing about <clears throat> when you're making coffee beer is, and this is sort of the the new wave in coffee is to really lightly roast the beans, don't burn them, and um, which gives you a lot of different flavors. And Claudia. <coughs> Our roaster is really big about that. It's like she's really looking for um, different flavors than maybe some of the old school roasters that to like to cook them a little bit more. So it really makes sense for the uh, for when you're you know combining it with coffee uh, with beer. So so Dave Yarrington's going to be doing more special projects like this at Smut Labs. I think yeah, he's got his own. You know, Smut Labs is all about that's all they do is one offs pretty much, and. Um, and then uh, Paul Saylor, you know, Zero Gravity was brewing down there as well. He was doing those beers for him, Conehead, which is his um, flagship, Paul's flagship. And um, and I don't think he's going to get many more contract breweries in there, but but definitely his own um, small batch series, short batch he calls it. Um, lots of Berliner Weisses and, and some kind of cool, you know, stuff that he can't do on his giant system at Tal- uh, Toll Farm. A lot of great sour beers. Yeah, a lot of great. He's really into, he's into Brett beers. His his head brewer Charlie Ireland is is all about that. And um, um, I, Chad was just telling telling us that uh, Brian Strumke Stillwater is going to be brewing uh, there next week. Yeah, yeah. And Did you know you what they're going to you know what they're going to make. I do not. I'm just the uh, the mule that's driving him down. Because <laughs> you love to drive. Uh, well, hey, and you got a good rig now. Coffee Brian, beer. Brian's coming to brew with us, so yeah. You know, right. It's, and it's what? Always, so what's he going to make with you? We're we're doing a hoppy saison. Nice. Uh, we we still love our hops and yeah. definitely love saisons. Yeah. Chad, what about you? So for distributing your beer, so you make it. Is your, is your brewery and restaurant the same thing, or are they separate? They're. You know, the, the beer actually travels underground over to the restaurant and ties in the tap lines there to make it a brew pub. But the brewery out back is its own entity as well. It's, it's just a down and dirty, uh, you know, bar space with where you can see the brew house. Uh, you have drive lines underground from the yeah, brewery. Wow. Yeah. So He's pretty cutting edge. <laughs> How or ghetto rigged. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. How long is the line? Um... They run about 50 feet. They run from the cold room, which is right underneath where when you walk in the door, there's a um, a cooler there that's about 400 square feet down underneath you with the bright tanks, conditioning tanks. Um, and then the fermenters are on down in the basement as well. But the brew house is right up there where you can see it. So you can come in. There's bar seats in there. Instead of Originally, we were going to do a tasting room. But then we're like, well, well why not just have a whole whole glass and get food while you're here uh and as well it gave us outdoor seating so now you can come in there have a pint heckle nate while he's brewing Mm -hmm. and uh you know but actually i mean you're you're immersed in it you you smell 
the, the, the grain mashing in and the hops boiling and the whole process. I mean, it's literally like 15 feet from where you're sitting. But do you sell your beer anywhere else? Not not yet. Um, down the road, we do plan on doing it. We really want to come down here to New York and do events like at the Tiger and whatnot just to promote stuff. But we're, we're trying to grow into it and keep it... Keep it small at first. Uh, there's there's advantages of doing that. Um, we really want to um, keep working on our recipes, and you know, before we just get crazy with this, we don't want to grow too fast. Um, I feel like that's where you start to lose control with what's going on. So, doing the smaller batches right there in house, uh, a lot of benefits for us that way. We we want to. Uh, Dave touched on the fact that Vermont depends on having people come from out of state. It's a very small state. Uh, tourism is probably its, its biggest industry. Um, and so, the, you know, the more reasons that people have to go to Vermont, you know, if, it's, it's better for us to serve it there uh, at the pig for right now and hopefully make people want to go there, give them a reason. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we're really glad that a lot of our popular breweries don't distribute outside, or, you know, just very little, just enough to, to lure people up. And that's pretty much their whole business model so far. It'll be interesting now that they're they're all kind of expanding. So, um, And I know Lawson now is in, actually in Connecticut where the beer is, where his uh, uh, Sip of Sunshine is made. But for the most part, you know, so far they're trying to keep it, keep it in Vermont to bring people up. I think it's, it's nice to having these breweries that are just kind of regional, you know, mm. local. Yep. And I've seen that in New York City now, too. There's guys like Transmitter that, to me, are as much in demand as Hill Farmstead is. Totally. And, yeah, that was the great thing about last night at the Brewer's Choice is, you know, the, just the New York City beer scene, New York State beer scene has is, is just changed so much, and it is so similar to the scene that we have up in Vermont. And uh, exact same things are going on, and you've got, like, certain brands just blowing up. Everybody wants them. People waiting in lines at the breweries, at the tap rooms. Um, Sam from Other Half was saying how, uh, last night he was telling me how much pressure he feels when he sees, you know, it's two degrees outside and there's a line to get in for a, you know, a can release. And he's like, you know, what if they don't like it? You know, and it, it, you just, it, you, know, you look out there and you see all these people just waiting for hours for your beer. And, uh, you know, you start to feel a little pressure. We, you know, we don't have that problem at Beatery, so we don't feel any pressure. Well, cheers. Yeah, now, yeah. Ian, so <laughs> tell us a little bit about what's going on Worthy Worthy Kitchen, Worthy Burger. Yeah, you know, I mean, I... Uh, Talk about going up to Vermont. I, mean, I got to go up this time. I know, Jimmy. You know, what are you only, doing? Uh, Come on. I had only signed on for a year, and here I am 18 months later. Um, I really think just what these guys were talking about, just really the local produce, just the food... And everything we have access to just makes it really a great place to live. We do kind of, um, you know, working in the bar scene, we do uh, live off kind of the tour- tourism of people coming up. But at this point, I think just as much as the skiing or the mountain biking, hiking, people are coming up for the food and the beer. And I you think guys mentioned some of the breweries and the restaurants. Give a shout out to a couple of the farmers that you guys work with up there. Well, we got Steve Hampsh is right in Barnard, um, Fable Farm, obviously. Uh, it's actually Hartwood Fable Farm now. A lot of our vegetables come from. Um, Kiss the Cow, um, chickens, and it's a raw milk dairy. And Eastman Farm, grass-fed beef. Uh, those are a lot of the Barnard farms. And then Tamarack, 
um, for lamb. And, and, uh, you know, it's really nice that you can kind of wrap your head around the whole economy up there. Right. From, you know, from, from the greens to the grains to the meat. You, you know the farmers, you meet them, they come in, they drink your beer, you use their products in your beer, and it's kind of like a microcosm. Where in New York it could be a little more unclear. But yeah, it's a, maybe a little bit less connected that way, where you're not like, constantly hanging, because there's so few places to go yeah. up there. So, uh, you know, you all hang out together. You all know each other really well. You're all friends. And you're all, I mean, we started Worthy Burger to take care of those farms that I just mentioned. We're having trouble, you know, selling their excess stuff. They have, they all have CSAs and all of that. But then they always have some left over that they were looking to, to move. And, and, uh, and they just, a lot of the local restaurants were like, oh, it's too expensive. And, and so that was part of our challenge was to create a business model that could buy, um, you know, local farm food from our friends, pay them a, a decent price, um, and and then turn around and us turn it into food that, that people could still afford. That they could. The whole idea was that to create a, a restaurant where the farmers could afford to eat there, both sell their food to us, and then in turn we didn't jack it up so much that they couldn't afford to eat there. So because there's a lot of farm to table restaurants, but most of them are fairly expensive. And um, so that was, <clears throat> you know, we work on that all the time. It's still really tough. Um, for them to make money, they need to really, you know, sell at a premium, and um, so it's it's a real challenge keeping your food costs um, at a decent price. I'll tell you guys, it's a nice show. Thanks for inviting me to the Blind Tiger, Dave. And I know that uh, I think Chad Rich only come down what, once once a year now, twice um, a year. Are you kidding me? He comes down here more than I do. <laughs> every time I see, every time he, he's texting me from New York. I was here the past three weekends. <laughs> You guys are all right. We had a lot of fun this week. New York City Brewers Choice. We're talking about Vermont. So if we go up to Vermont, we should make our landing points. Uh, worthy Burger, Worthy Kitchen, Prohibition Pig, and get the lay of the land up there. Yep. All right. In closing, I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors who've helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to Chad, Dave, Tommy, and Ian for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Maggie Seiden and Justin Kennedy, and to our engineer, Jack Inslee. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.